0: On today's episode of Bill and Frank's Guilt-Free Pleasures, we have a special guest who brought a
1: song with him that I told him to bring. And we wrestled with the various interpretations that we can
2: take from this song. And I'm the guest that picked the correct interpretation.
0: On today's episode of Bill and Frank's Guilt-Free Pleasures, we are discussing a song that has so many questions and no answers. And it leads me to my own question. Who's sitting across from me in the Winchester right now during our podcast?
1: Well, uh, that would be Derek Dicotello, who we've had on the podcast before. Okay, did I know he was coming? Yeah. (laughs) Well... Um, I'm not sure if this is a bit or if this is uh, you, because this is the nature of our friendship. (laughs) I'm never quite sure. But we talked about having Derek return to the podcast, and we had requests that he would be brought back. Derek gave us about 8 to 20 songs that he was willing to do this might be the case because last time we brought him on we had him do baby baby by amy grant didn't we kind of force that on <laughs> we did <laughs> which is which, perfect which might be way outside of the realm of uh, a local dj who is uh, you know working every weekend you're in toronto sometimes as well occasionally occasionally but baby baby seems a bit far removed from it but we wanted to do it because derek was about to have a baby yeah, so now we're two years removed from that. The baby is now, I think, a toddler. Yeah, she's she's two, two in a little bit. So he brought us a bunch of songs, and I brought them to you, and then you said, all right, let's do Drive by the Cars, because that was one of them. So that's why Derek is sitting across from you. Derek, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so
2: much. Yeah, I guess also <laughs> welcome. <Okay. laughs>
1: Nothing's wrong for us. Who's gonna drive you home?
0: So, the Cars band was named after the motor vehicle, apparently. Is there an actual story about how the band was named?
1: I have no idea. I'm going to guess it's at a time of music where you just throw down the and something afterwards. And there that must, wasn't taken yet. I'm so. shocked that wasn't taken. Yeah, or, think. But I imagine there were other bands, but maybe they didn't copyright it. Yeah, okay. Okay. Makes sense. <laughs> well, we know that Rick Okazak and Benjamin Orr, the two major players there, yeah. They'd met a lot earlier and played in other bands before they became the Cars, right? Yeah,
0: because they met in Ohio because uh, Orr was in a band called the Grasshoppers in the 60s and they had a spot on a local like variety show. I right. think they were the house band or something like
1: that. So it's important to note that this is a band that is informed By the 60s and earlier, right? So you can kind of sense it, especially in this song. And in all the songs they do.
2: Yeah, the 60s, meaning like, uh, what they say, like early punk as well as like power pop. Is that what it's called? Power pop, like the Beach Boys and stuff like that or something like that? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because
0: actually Ben Orr's band opened for the Beach Boys. The the Grasshoppers opened for the Beach Boys at one point. Mm. And according to song facts, the Grasshoppers had their own fan club. So, I don't know what that means, but it means something. They were bigger than nothing. Yes, they were exactly. Rick and Ben, we're just going to call them Rick and Ben at this yeah. point. They meet, they recorded an album together before the Cars under the uh, name Milkwood. That was the name of the band, I guess. And they had future Cars keyboarders, Greg Hawks,
2: played keyboards on that album as well. The rest of the band members was sort of a hodgepodge of people. I I remember them saying that they sort of, they brought a lot of different influences in because they they brought people from different parts of the country in and from different backgrounds, different ages. Like they weren't all a, a group that hung out together in high school or something they were like a compiled sort of group in a way other than ben and rick it makes it easier for them to sort of move
1: between eras right so you have that first album is it late 70s i'm pretty sure it's yeah late, late 78 was the right. first album so they're able to navigate sort of the punk new wave thing and then become this mtv band mm-hmm. by yeah. the mid 80s
0: yeah exactly And then rounding out the band was Elliot Easton, who played guitar, and David Robinson, who stopped playing basketball for a short period of time and
1: played the drums for them. You did a really good job of saying that joke again, because you (laughs) told it to us twice before we started recording. Was it twice? Yeah, because you had to explain it and then go back to the joke. uh, We could just tell you're getting ready for it. And that was very funny. It's still a good joke. Even though you guys didn't laugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Any I'm laughing now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Derek might not know who David Robinson is. I'm not a sports guy, yeah, even yeah.
2: though I sometimes wear sports jerseys and...
1: Well, you're wearing a Robinson jersey right now. The <laughs> oh, <laughs> so there's a brief history of the cars. I mean, there's certainly more to it. and, and yeah. uh, But we we want to get to this song. And so they release... They don't release a ton of albums. I think... Is this their third album? This is their fifth uh, studio album. Fifth, okay. And they're coming off an album that wasn't well received, from what I gather. Commercial drop-off, right? Yeah. So then they employed the services of a producer for this album now i didn't know who the producer was until i listened to the album i didn't even bother i just assumed rick okazak was always the producer because he's Mm -hmm. the big producer afterwards Mm -hmm. but i just want to play the opening bars to the first song from what's the name of the album again Heartbeat... Heartbeat heartbeat
2: heartbeat city heartbeat
1: city okay That is right, straight out of a Def Leppard album. Yeah, totally. So Mutt Lang is brought in to produce, but I just couldn't believe it sounded so much like Pyromania. Yeah, Mm. I know, right? It was insane. So then I had to look up to see Mutt Lang was doing this, but what I'm amazed at for this album, because the whole album is quite listenable. I know that, like, I think... Cars purists are not big fans of it. Pitchfork had a real tough time giving this a review because it's so infectious but they really want to be purist or whatever. But it's super listenable, but it doesn't sound totally mutt except for the f- Hello Again, the first song. Yeah. After that, it feels like there must have been some sort of balance between the Rick Okazak production and Mutt-Lang. Yeah, that is like stereotypical Mutt-Lang. Mm-hmm.
2: Now, are you going to tell the listeners who he is who don't know who he is? Well, we're going to let you do that because oh. uh, you
1: got the pedigree.
2: Oh, okay. Well, hey, I, like I said, I wasn't alive when all this stuff was going on, but uh, Mutt-Lang is the guy who produced a lot of... People in the 80s, and he married Shania Twain and sort of gave her her rise. Michael Bolden, he produced for her, at least yep. one song. Uh, ACDC, Foreigner, you mentioned Def Leppard. And, uh, Billy Ocean, Get Out of My Dream, Into My Car. Oh, man. What's did we mention my... that in the episode? I hope so. Oh, I man. I forgot so all about but, that. But, uh, yeah, it's Tear Down These Walls, I guess, is the yeah, other yeah. one. That, uh, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, Tear Down These Walls, you did with Teddy Riley, who did No Diggity, with oh, Black yeah, Street, yeah. and yeah. all that. So, yeah, remember the time, my prerogative. Teddy yeah, Riley yeah. did those, too. Big, big names. You know, these big producer types. This is why we're
1: glad you're here. You're bringing this sort of knowledge that we might be missing, filling in the gaps, rounding (laughs) up the edges. That's right. This is sort of what Tim Duncan did for David Robinson
2: on the Spurs, right? Mm. I don't know who that is. (laughs) (laughs) I have another little tidbit here. Now he also produced for an Irish family band named The Chords. Oh, that's right. So that's kind of funny because The Cars, The Chords. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: Frank loves that chorus song by Mutt Lang. Was the one? uh, Breath. Oh yeah. Go
0: on, go on, leave me breathless. Which it sounds so much. Oh, I know like, that song. Yeah, it's a, basically a Shania Twain song. Yeah, oh, yeah,
1: great. yeah. It's totally it's a, the late period Mutt Yeah,
0: yeah,
1: and that will be an episode we're doing. So, Derek, open invite if you want to come to the cores episode. Oh, okay. Go on. Okay, so on this album, there are three singles, right? Yes. Oh, no, there's like six singles, but Drive is the third single. But there are three singles.
0: You said there's six, but there are definitely three. There's also four, there's five, and then there's six. Okay.
1: Yeah, all right. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. I'm a
0: literalist. I thought you knew this by now.
1: Yeah,
2: all right. Okay, let's go through those singles. Let's go through the ones before Drive. So the singles, in order, were You Might Think, hit number seven in the US. And I love that song. Great song. And then Magic, mm-hmm. which went to number 12 in the US. And Drive came next, and that hit number three. That's pretty amazing to be
1: three singles deep to have this song. Yeah. Like, you'd think this would be a second single, because you do your ballad second. Typically, yeah. But I mean, hearing those other two, if you're a record company exec, you might be thinking not to quote the first single. But you might be thinking that these other ones are going to be huge hits. But when you listen to the album, almost every song on the album is singleable. 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 Yeah. And I think it was half
2: of them were singles anyways. Yeah.
0: Well, 6 of 12, yeah, that's almost half.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Actually, sorry, 6 of 10. <laughs> a lot of their albums have so many singleable and singles. Like they just had a great formula that kept working it seems, right? Yeah. If you let's say you were in a cars cover band or something, it just seemed like they'd be so fun to play. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. The, so they, they're very like simplistic. They're not doing crazy guitar yeah. riffs or this and that solos. It's just yeah. straight up good sounding instruments, yeah. cool That's... textures, cool you know synths and yeah. fun fun vocals, fun lyrics, right? mm Hmm. Yeah.
1: This one does stand out, I
2: think. Like of other song? songs, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, a, they call it, it was a bit of a divergence from their their Usual typical sound, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's more of a
0: ballad type feel as opposed to like the new wave that they were kind of uh, known mm-hmm. for, right? Right.
1: And it's ballad, but also sad. Yeah, yeah. And, like really off putting to some degree. Yeah, really? does
2: that sound yeah. Melanch- melancholy and. Yeah. Yeah, off-putting. So, yeah, it's a bit weird. It's a strange vibe, sort of. This song, obviously, the big song
0: from the album, at least commercially. And Is there a story of how this was written?
1: There's like an urban myth. Okay. That Rick Okazak was at a party, because Rick is the one who wrote the song. Yeah. Apparently, he was at a party where someone was going to drive home with someone they shouldn't have because the guy was too drunk. He told the woman that he would drive her home instead but the woman chose to drive home with the other guy. But this is where it feels like a certain myth. The guy died in a car crash, and she was paralyzed. Sounds like the Phil Collins in the air tonight urban or, myth. Uh, or oh, yeah, that was written. Yeah. Fire and rain with with yeah. uh, James Taylor. Susie didn't die in
0: the plane crash? No, apparently oh, not. Man.
2: Yeah, I remember that apparently
0: one too. Flying Machines was the name of the band that James Taylor yeah, was in. that's right. Okay.
1: I'm going to just assume that it's not true, because I don't like the story of the person getting paralyzed no, I don't, in the car yeah.
0: I think it would be more heavily kind of published, because I didn't read anything like that.
1: There is interviews where Rick Okazak says, I generally don't put personal details of my life or events of my life into songs. It's more fictional. And he said, if anything, I write lyrics to hide my life. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what he kind of said about the song. Okay. So we... Probably can assume that he's got an idea for this song. But just when we go through the lyrics, I think he's intentional about what he's doing lyrically here. Yeah. That it's not about the imaginary girl at the party, right? But it was used. Are we going to talk about this now or later about Live Aid? So the song
0: was initially released as a single in 84. Yeah. That's when it climbed to number three. The next year, it was part of Live Aid. And
1: Band-Aid. Live Aid was the one in England, oh, correct? Or is Live Aid the one in the US and Band... Isn't the whole thing called Live Aid? I, I think the
2: remember. group is Band-Aid. Yeah. We Are the World was another... That was a s- another song, right? By the yeah. same people. Yeah, the We Are the World is the American version. That's, that is... I just had this conversation the other day. I should remember the difference. But we're all about Tears Are Not Enough. Yeah,
0: exactly. So the Live Aid concert... Yeah, okay. That yeah. was so, the concert, yeah, right? So Live Aid. Con- the Live Aid, Aid concert... Yeah. Is it was used in the background.
1: It was used for a promo video. Yeah. If you watched, you can see on YouTube where yeah. they show people starving in Ethiopia and they're playing Drive. Yeah. Which is kind of weird.
0: It, yeah, exactly. But like we said, it's a melancholy song. So they wanted that feel about it, right? So right. I think that's that's why they, they picked that song. It's better than Let's Go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> More of My Best Friend's Girl. Right. Right. So. It was re-released in 85 and became a hit again a year
1: later. Yeah, like UK, it climbed up to four, I think. Derek, you being our special guest who brought the song and also noted... I thought I brought the song. Frank Frank. Listen... Derek brought us eight songs. Frank finally picked one that he forgot about. And then
2: I agreed to. (laughs) it.
1: But Derek, you being the DJ, and so you have, like, to me, an otherworldly sense of these songs. Could you help lead us through this?
2: Sure. I guess so. I mean, from a DJ's point of view, I guess there's hard press to find a time where you would play this song. But that said, I mean, what I have is about this song. It's like we said, it's Melancholy. It starts... Slow, but it sort of gains a sense of movement at some point, right? And somewhere I read, I stole this from somewhere, but it says it ends on a note of resilience. I mean, quite literally, it does end on sort of one note at the end there. Yeah. Um, But it kind of, like, it starts so confusing, melancholy, icky, off-putting, and then it kind of resolves itself to this sort of drive, let's say driving beat in a way. Yeah. Um, And then it ends on this sort of, like, completeness, or sort of a note of of, uh, finishing. So... Lyrics aside, but yeah, just the music. I have a note about the chorus at the end.
0: Basically, it's a two-line chorus, and it repeats itself at the end. And the second half of it, there's this
2: really distinctive drum roll that comes in, and yes. it, it drives it through. Right. Yeah, there's a the part where the drums go double time. Sort of the snare comes in twice as much as it did before. Yeah. Um, and so it really picks up. And it's kind of telling for
0: a song called Drive that doesn't actually have the word drive in it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it literally has drive it i don't even know how to respond to that <laughs> it's about driving
2: it's a driving song.
1: that's good material Derek. because i didn't know why i like the song so much i'm like why do i not feel so sad after i hear it yeah, but it, it's it, the... it changes it's yeah. like
2: yeah it's weird you think of it as a melancholy song but By the last half of it, it's kind of really picking up in some sort of some resolve, maybe not totally resolved, but some more upbeatness. There feels like there's a conclusion
0: to it or an answer to the questions that are constantly being asked. Right. Right. Well, should we then
1: move our way through the song?
0: Sure. Now that we've talked about the ending, should we talk about the start? All right. Let's do it. I like the beginning of it because it kind of eases you into things. It's just those synths right at the beginning. It's not anything abrasive
2: or abrupt right it's for just sure. very very gentle yeah, it's like a preview of a lot of songs start with this and it's i don't know what you call it but it's a very distinct sort of preview of what the whole song is right like yeah whether it's you call it the hook or we've talked about this before or no, but if it's it's just a sort of concise version of the sort of melody that you're about to hear right
1: All right, so
0: let's get to those first lyrics here, then. When You said it's, what, 25 seconds before 25. we actually hear
2: any lyrics, any voices? Yeah. And it's not Rick Okasek. Right. right? I didn't know this until I just planned to do this podcast. I just yeah. didn't. A lot of people still don't even know that there was two singers just because... Right. And I think he, Rick said at one point, like... Because they, like you said, were in a band together and stuff, they kind of like fed off each other's vibe and style, so that's why they kind of like sound so similar.
1: Yeah in a way yeah.
2: And he said for this song, he needed a prettier voice.
1: He did say that. He's so definitely that's... a prettier person. <laughs> okay, come on, Frank. We don't do that here.
0: Okay, you said yourself that he Rick Okazak looked like a reject from the Ramones.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. And Benjamin Orr looks like a reject I heard from a really he... good-looking group. He's,
2: yeah. a sh- he's a striking figure is what i said. Yeah, that's a good way of putting he's a it. Stri- it a striking figure. figure. Uh just before we get into the lyrics actually okay. I wanted to know could you guys think of any other bands that have two singers that that or that you like that have two singers you know any come to mind cuz yeah I, I have
0: kind a of short obscure list your ones like oh, okay. there's this one band the Beatles from England <laughs> Yeah that was on my list
2: I, I got one the bare naked ladies Oh yeah yeah? <laughs> yeah Now what about these and then the, it could be two or more I guess the Eagles Oh, yes, yeah. had more. Very than good. One. Very good. Uh, Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. yeah, Singers, obviously. And yeah. Blink182 had the two guys. Oh, right? they're really. Okay. They're real? oh, okay. Yeah. Sloan. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I just thought that was interesting. There's a lot of bands that uh, have more than one lead singer. Holland, Sometimes Oats. Holland, Sometimes Oats. But do those really count when they're the two guys, go- like yeah. Simon and Garfunkel? Oh, yeah. that's a good call, because I did
1: call it Hall and Rarely Oats. Well, do you remember when we saw Toad the
0: Wet Sprocket in concert and uh, yeah. Todd Nichols sang Crazy Life, and you didn't realize I that was it, was, it was someone I other was than shocked. Glenn Phillips? Yeah,
1: every once in a while when they let someone else sing. Yeah. And no one knows any of those names that I just said. I was said. just going to say, we're cutting that out or we're keeping that in? Oh, I'm keeping <laughs> it. <laughs> All right, here we go. For the first time ever, I printed lyrics where I put it in 18-point font and it was still on only one page. This is a brief song. <laughs> I know, right? this It's is a brief a short song. song. It is a song that is all about space. I feel like there's so much space in this song.
0: And it sounds spacey.
1: Yeah. Who's going to tell you when it's too late? Who's going to tell you things aren't so great? Now, that's verse one. But when you hear it, it sounds way longer. Who's going to tell you when it's too
2: late?
1: Gonna tell
2: you things are so great. And so I got a question for you
1: Who's gonna tell you when it's too late? Are they talking about nighttime? Or are they talking about that sort of it's too late?
2: I don't think it's a literal. I think some people could say, you know, okay, it's late, you gotta drive home now. It's a, <laughs> yeah But yeah, I I, I doubt it's a literal situation i think it's more of a figurative situation like it's much too late for goodbyes the julian bennett thing or it's too, t- l- it's too late in your life to make this change
1: oh yeah yeah who's gonna tell you things aren't so great well that's more straightforward the perspective of this song can be taken i guess two different ways
2: i have
0: about six but go okay. on. okay <laughs> <laughs> so what you think you're better than me then <laughs> Just five times better, or six times better. It would be three times, because I had two.
1: Oh, did you? Oh, okay.
0: The math checks out. I thought you were a math teacher.
1: I was, but I'm also the type of person who doesn't listen until the last part of the sentence, so I try to just jump in there while I was writing notes. Okay, go ahead, Frank.
0: The general consensus is this is someone who's basically cautioning a person that they were in a relationship with, saying, the road you're going down is a dangerous one, and you need to change but it could also be taken as someone who is kind of interjecting themselves into the life of someone, kind of propping themselves up. It's like, like I'm here. It's like, who else is going to drive you home tonight? Who exactly. else is exactly. going to tell you things aren't so great? Like, right. I'm
2: here. I, right. You need me. That kind of a yeah, thing. Like yeah. Like, almost to a point of, not evil, but a, a, a very negative relationship, a very possessive yeah. person.
0: Almost gaslighting. Uh,
2: yes. I feel like this song, you could look at it so many different ways, but I think that's the general gist of it, I think or at least i don't know if if that's what most people think like is it a lovelorn thing where the a guys just trying to get with a certain person and is trying to put himself in the spotlight a bit or is it you know is it two people who already have had a relationship and have known each other and are discussing something their future or whatever or is it two people who are strangers and i right? think most people look at it in that sort of
0: altruistic he's helping her right right but but it could all, be. Yeah, yeah, it could be the other one. Right. Which makes more sense to me because most cars have a gas light <laughs> when you're running out of gas. The connections are
1: <laughs> Those
2: Synapses are firing yeah. on all cylinders,
0: much like a
1: car.
2: I think as we continue with the lyrics, we will start to see maybe which theory holds up more. I think so. I got a theory. I'm going to save it for verse two and three. All right. All right. So, but
1: chorus, again, it's just two lines. You can't go on thinking nothing's wrong, but now who's going to drive you home tonight? Now, I purposely read it as on the page. I didn't want to sing it. Yeah. Because I couldn't do it justice. And so, there's so many covers of this song. One of them by Nikki Six's band.
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah. It's 6 a.m., right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I tell you, the, you can't match Orr's vocals. No. They're so good. And, you can't also match it with the production around it, but it's one of those songs that just fits together perfectly. Mm-hmm. And so this chorus does as well. You can't go on thinking nothing's wrong. It seems to strike a chord deep down where it's even outside of whatever's been happening in the song. As soon as you hear that chorus, you're thinking about yourself. At least I am. Yeah. Nothing's wrong. Like how we live our lives. And yeah. Deep down, we're like. When they're I'm saying not... you, yeah. the lyrics,
2: when they're saying you, mm-hmm. it's very much, right? The listener. That makes sense. Yeah, so I kind of hear that, like, oh man, how did he know?
1: You can't go on
2: nothing's wrong. What who's gonna drive you home tonight? So, yeah, who's gonna drive you home tonight? Who? Who? Because someone is, right?
1: And this is sort of questions like, and so this does feel the party vibe. Like it's, yeah. it's in LA that someone has had too much to drink. Yeah. Who
2: are you going to trust? Yeah. I think this is the point in the song where you can really start to, like you said, when when you start to apply it to yourself, there's a lot of people who interpret it so many different sort of personal ways. Like I read some stories on the internet of people, this song connecting to a time when they had to drive their parent to and from a hospital for some serious treatment or something and they drove them home all the time from this thing and it just always reminds them of that time Um, so either that or like thinking nothing's wrong it could kind of be someone with an addiction or something like that right so again it could apply to so many different personal scenarios Which makes
1: it a so-called utility song, right? Yeah. So, you end up with a song that's vague enough that will match and attach, rather, itself. to. I think a lot of his
2: lyrics do that, right? You were mentioning how he doesn't so much do personal stories and he doesn't do, you know, that kind of thing. Um, Yeah, it it can apply to so many different things and most of the songs seem to do that.
1: So, that takes us to verse 2, where things kind of take a bit of a turn, I think. In terms of uh, where we're going Who's going to pick you up when you fall? Who's going to hang it up when you call? Which is kind of strange to me Hmm. Who's going to pay attention to your dreams? Yeah, who's going to plug their ears When you scream? Who's going to pay
2: All right. I thought it said, oh, is this a misheard lyric thing? I used to think that he said, who's going to plug your ears when you scream? And that was always like such a That's cool super, line to yeah. me because yeah. it's kind of weird. But I didn't know that he says who's going to plug their, their ears. ears. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I just learned yeah, something yeah. new. I mean, he goes plural there,
1: but I think it's... The there that singular yeah. Who's gonna pay attention to your
2: dreams? Is so. Um... It's kind of belittling, like of the person in a way, like how you were saying with the we were talking about the the negative viewpoint of it. Yeah, that this guy is possessive or, or whatever. It's, yeah, it's, it's like, almost like your th- dreams aren't like nobody else is going to pay attention yeah, to, to yeah. your silly dreams, like. Okay. Right. I, Only, will. But I will. I yeah. will. I'm important. Right. So, I
0: mean, maybe, I don't know, I'm playing devil's advocate here because I think, like I said, the popular view of the song is someone, it's a cautionary thing. It's like, you're going down the wrong road and I'm here to try and help like you. Like altruistic, helpful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But then there's also the flip side of that where if someone was saying that to me, but like, okay, my life's actually kind of in control and I'm, I'm doing things okay, yeah. but you're trying to shoehorn yourself into my life. That's never actually happened to me personally, <laughs> yeah. where someone's tried to shoehorn their, themselves into my life. But yeah, so I can't speak from uh, experience there. You spoke long enough to make it believable
1: though. That okay. something's happened good. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you th- tell a lie long enough, and it yeah, becomes yeah. the truth. <laughs> yeah. Rick Okazak's writing is so great here because he is able to balance both the sort of positive nature, but also the sort of darker tones. Yeah. 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 Tone, yeah. That you're not sure. And I mean... In all our lives, we have, like, there's no such thing maybe as altruism, which is such an easy argument that people make, but we're all kind of trying our best, but sometimes we don't try our best, right? Yeah. And you have kind of, you have intentions, but not... The best intentions, yeah. and they're both kind of—I don't know if they're competing with each other at a time, but this song kind of has that feeling. Yeah, to me. I
2: think that's what draws you in, though, kind of almost on a subconscious level. But it's like when it's not so obvious, yeah, and it's kind of you know you're you're almost trying to figure it out, but not in a frontal lobe kind of way, but more of a whatever medulla album got us back to <laughs> back. <Lobe>. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Do you notice with his voice here that there is almost—I was going to say '50s, but maybe we could say '60s because that's when they're starting. There's a vibe of that earlier Time of rock and roll. Yeah. Where the voice mattered more.
0: Yeah, okay. Because
1: or has a voice that does things, but it has a bit more 1970s guts to it with the 80s sheen. But I feel mm-hmm. like it covers like almost 30 to 40 years of vocals hmm. because it's it's meaningful enough that it's not like the young kids singing in the 80s, I think, about or yeah. a little more dismissive of And they're tone. in
0: their 30s at this point. Too,
1: yeah, right? so, so. Th- it is a well-delivered vocal. Mm-hmm. Like there is a depth to it. Yeah. And uh, I'm no vocal coach, but I feel if I played it for Ashley, she'd respect the vocal.
2: Yeah, lyrics. there's a lot of dynamics to it. There's some softer parts. There's, I mean, we're going to get to it soon, but there's a part that's so soft in the yeah. recording that I don't never knew what the word was that he says. Oh, good. Do you want me to say what word yeah. it is? It's when he says in verse three, who's going to hold you down when you shake? Yeah, when you hear it on the track, it goes, when you shake. That's right, all he yeah. says. And I go, why didn't they redo that
0: part? It's almost like a broken lyric in the sense where he's getting emotional about it
1: and yeah. he can't get the word out.
2: It must be, there must be some purpose to, to leaving yeah. that in. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, hmm. And the, right before it is that longer sort of musical
1: either interlude or yeah. bridgey sort of part yeah. there mm-hmm. that I didn't notice until we listened to it before we started the podcast. Like, oh, wow, there's this music part here that mm. I just kind of glossed over because you're kind of caught up in the whole thing. Mm-hmm.
2: I was going to say the song is like three minutes and 48 seconds, I think. Yeah. It's but it just sounds like minutes. it's like, when you're done listening to it, it sounds like it's been two minutes. Yeah. Right. right. right? I yeah, don't know. Yeah. Is that maybe because it's the lyrics quick. are so sparse? And it yeah.
1: is. It's quick, yeah. but you've experienced something too. I'm shocked at how short it felt. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of weird. One of the things that I
0: really like about the song, and it happens kind of about halfway through, there's a bit of a shift. So the synth is happening throughout the whole thing. So Greg Hawks is on the keyboards. I had it marked out halfway through the second verse. The synth changes to kind of that vocal synth. Very, very reminiscent of 10 CC's You're Not In Love. Yes. Yeah. And that comes through in the second half of it. So you have those voices,
2: like yeah, and they're keys, right? Voices. They're yeah, synths yeah, yeah. because, yeah, it's, yeah I, I I was never sh- quite sure, but uh, listening to it more, it's a synth, something, yeah. right? Yeah, but it's it, incredible. Yeah, it yeah. it feels otherworldly. It mm-hmm. is like MVP of the song.
1: Yeah, I mean, Benjamin Orr's vocals are unreal, but this is something that you're always thinking of as those sounds, and it has the cinematic feel of oh, those yeah. like movies. Well, we talked about this with I think Bruce with like Risky Business and even Planes, Trains and Automobiles. I don't know why yeah, okay, I'm going yeah. there, but there's like <laughs> synthy feel and it drives you and it's hard not to use that term. Yeah. With this song. Who's going to hold you down? When you- I'm going back to who's going to hold you down when you shake. The, you're, like, it, it was tough to understand it until you heard, like, the rhyming word. Who's going to come around when you
2: break? This has the drug addict
1: thing going on. Yeah, at least
2: there, that sort of theme. But it, yeah, but again, it could just be a relationship. And this person yeah. knows this person so so well that, you know... But again, you could take those two roads. Either they know that person so well and they just want to help that person when they're down or whatever, or they're declaring that they're the only person that can help them. Yeah. You better stick around with me. Yeah. I know. There's
1: so much going on. Yeah.
2: So many angles. It depends on what you bring
1: to the song. Yeah. Whether it's going to be positive or negative. Yeah. And it's brilliant because this becomes a song you can play anywhere. I like to think of it as more of a positive thing, as
0: someone trying to help, but you can't not look at it from that other perspective at For the sure. same time, right? You gotta have both sides of the story, like Phil Collins says.
1: Yeah, worst Phil Collins song ever. The chorus that ends it is like a double chorus, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the ahs get louder, yes. right? And it's almost, I don't wanna say it's a major, thing because i don't even really know what it is is it a minor song major song Um, i have no idea we
2: can take an edit here i just pulled it up actually what the what key it was in and stuff but it says key of b it does say b major that makes sense
1: that it's major because we're confused on whether or not it's negative right and it certainly seems to end on a high note a high note or a tone that is Mm -hmm. positive like you've already brought up and it has to do with that ending where it suddenly feels like it's lifting in the second repeat of the chorus Mm -hmm. yes exactly Mm -hmm. that's all that matters is the feeling the jargon the jargon is just jargon facts don't matter feelings matter yeah well because songs are about feelings that's true
2: We we're thinking it could be potentially a stranger that just cares or someone who knows this person that also is altruistically caring and i was just learning about the ancient greek different w- types of love i don't know yeah, if yeah, you're familiar yeah. Before, with those yeah uh, there's there's a few there's i thought there was four or five main ones but there's like eight apparently different oh wow there's all sorts of little um, sub sub loves but uh, agape yeah, it's yeah. the one that's like the altruistic yeah. uh, love. And they say it was the way that Jesus had love for mankind was this kind of thing. Right, right. It wasn't like it's not obviously a relationship. It's not... Right. Uh, but eros, it's, right? That's relationship. Yeah, and yeah, there's all sorts of different ones. But I thought that kind of applied to, uh, you know, the unselfish, genuine interpretation. Right, right. Uh, Then, what do you think of we sing Drive as a song at church
1: this coming Sunday? (laughs) Oh, Oh, my goodness. That's
2: funny. (laughs) Bit of agape. Yeah.
1: I don't know if it's going to fly. But there are. No, because you're driving. The song ends pretty quickly. Yeah. Which is, I guess, why it feels like it's two minutes long. It just suddenly ends. Or it, I maybe mean, it's not suddenly, but it just resolves in a ways that this song feels like a song that can't resolve. I mm. get the feeling that because of
0: the way that the synths are moving like waves, you expect this song to just go on and on and on. Yeah. And it kind of resolves itself. Not abruptly, but it, it ends and you're just like, no, this is supposed to go further. Right. That's the feel I get about it. I is agree there with that. an
1: extended mix of this? I, d- I, didn't, I'm see sure, not I, I didn't see one that I saw. But there must be something that that just can kind of you could kind of loop it through.
0: Yeah, like the seven hour mix or something. <laughs> yeah, like that. there's someone
1: on YouTube who's done this. Yeah. There's no. Yeah, we don't even need to look. Music video is so deeply tied to this, especially to those who grew up in the '80s and experienced this. They know. That the music video might be the thing they saw first before they heard the song yeah. or, or this is yeah. the experience. But I mean, the two words I have to say about the music video are Paulina Poriskova because she is sort of the face of Drive and all those complicated things that are going on in the video really depend on her. And she yes. was, like, a, this well-sought-out model, apparently, at the time. Mm-hmm. She's only 19 years old. 19 at we've, the time of this yeah, video. Yeah, the video. So, I mean, there's lots to say about the video,
2: but do you, have you guys looked up much into the history behind it? The video itself, yeah, uh, not too much. Other than just that, that one guy who, who directed it—he was an aspiring actor yeah. or something—and yeah.
0: he was an Oscar winner. He was twenty when he won the Oscar. Right, for he was super uh,
1: young, right? For ordinary people, yes. Timothy Hutton lives next door to the manager, yes, for the cars, and has an idea for this song's video, and the cars hear it and say, "Sounds good to me." They get him to direct it. He must only be 23 or something like that. Because he heard an
0: early version of the album before it was released. And he said, like, this is the idea that I have. This is the vision I have for this video.
1: Let's go to the video. I struggled with it. There's parts of it I got and I liked a lot. And there's other parts that really bugged me. Okay, so the video itself. It opens with Benjamin Orr just sitting there kind of looking either distraught or angry or, or brooding brooding it actually
0: opens with a shot of a pool ball going into a pocket yeah at yeah the, at the pool table
1: yeah that was very odd and i guess that's the thing you do with it was a guy playing pool by by himself yeah.
0: so you think the song's all about playing pool but apparently it's not that's, that's a bit of a misnomer
1: yeah that's the same thing i thought about the richard marks and the summer nights oh, video that's right yeah, yes yeah. So he's sitting there in a room. I don't know. Is it, like it almost feels like a waiting room. Is it a room where mental patients are going to visit their well, family? That's the thing. When you look at the
0: scenes with Paulina, Paulina, Pauline, Yeah, I'm not even going to try and pronounce the last name because I'll get it wrong. It looks like she is in and part in the term an insane asylum because it's like a white yeah, room, it's just all white walls. Yeah, for she's sure. She's scribbling on the walls and yeah. she's acting a bit manic. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess what the 80s would have stereotyped as like a sort of mental health facility.
1: Sure. sure. Oh, yeah. And she's in there. And then like Rick Okazak, is he like an evil guard or is he a worker or is he a really bad therapist?
2: Yeah, he's kind he of sitting alone therapist. too. He's sitting just like uh, Benjamin's sitting sort of just sitting yeah. there. Yeah. I think he's smoking a cigarette or something. They what kind of go the back 80s and you can do that inside at that. Point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. They you kind don't remember back, the eighties the way. No, I was not alive. <laughs> well, me. for two years, but they kind of do flip back and forth, sort of contrasting these two characters, like Benjamin yeah. and Rick, or sort of mm-hmm. they show the scenery and both are sort of sitting in the, this room. It's sort of yeah. Yeah. To post. Well, everybody's isolated and alone. Yes, There's until it switches to this, back to Rick, and now we see the camera sort of pans, and we see he's talking to the girl. Yes. And he's going back and forth with the girl.
1: And he seems to be saying something that's making her kind of anxious.
2: She's upset. Yeah. She's distraught by yeah, whatever he, Rick is saying. It's disturbing whatever he's saying, and, and uh, I don't like it. I don't like it one-bit. No, No. and he doesn't seem distraught. He's just kind of stern. He's like, he's kind of telling it how it is, or he's he's commanding, or he's, you know, he's sort of overbearing in a way. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, in that regard, and and Derek and I were talking about this, that the video kind of implies the more negative impression of the
2: song. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Like that possessive sort of love. So, if that's... Yeah. If that's an indication... What's the Greek
0: word for that, for possessive love?
2: Oh, there's got to be one. (laughs) Well, it's not
1: phileo, which is brotherly love. That's the love we have on this podcast. Yeah. And for the city of
2: Philadelphia. I don't know. Mania? Is that, maybe, is that actually the root of mania? No, I don't know. It says mania, obsessive love. I think it's mania. It says Eros is romantic, Ludus, playful, and then it says mania is obsessive maybe. love. I don't know. Maybe that's the yeah, root. Maybe. Yeah, so there's that really awkward sort of back and forth
0: between Paulina and Rick. And I feel like I can say that about them because I feel like I've grown to know them through this episode. Yeah, yeah. But then there's also the scenes at the nightclub or bar or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, like it's a mixture like, of the two. Or yeah. Because it all sort of ends with there's a shot of the band on the stage, but they're all just
1: mannequins. Yeah. Yeah. They're not moving. Looks like a horror movie. Yeah. yeah. And Pauline
0: is looking through the window, which is supposed to be blocked off or blanked out, but there's opening. This is like my biggest criticism of the video is it's supposed to be smeared to obscure vision in. So you think if there is an area that you could see, it would just be like an eye hole. But no, they had to open up enough of the window so that they could show the supermodel.
2: Right. Can't just be just an eyeball or whatever. (laughs)
0: Exactly. We can't just see like half of her face. No, we have to see three quarters of her entire body because, well... You got a supermodel for a reason, right?
1: It's MTV. Come on, Frank. uh, It's not like European TV or whatever. (laughs) Would this be the video you would make? So this is kind of like the Hallmark movie category. Would you make a video like this? Because I feel a video itself is like a movie.
0: Mm. I think that if I was to make this video, and I'm a very literal person... How can you have a band named The Cars and a song named Drive and have neither a car nor driving in it? Exactly.
2: I feel the exact same way. Maybe they did that on purpose. I did read something that said they, they tried to avoid automotive <laughs> themes in Yeah, there. in
0: imagery. But it yeah, said
1: you made you wrote a song called Drive Rick.
2: Yeah. Yeah, but that's the only I guess it's the only time they yeah, yeah. did that. But maybe he means like the drive of the human spirit. Could be. Maybe he was the driving syncopated hi hats and snares and I yeah. don't know. Did he drive her home that night? Was that uh, the <laughs> question? <laughs> Nobody knows. Nobody knows who drove. Yeah, I'd have driving in my video. I just couldn't handle not being literal so are we going with the official interpretation then if the video is indicating this tension between these characters in such a way that means that it really is a possessive type or rather i mean it's it's confusing because the singer benjamin is not anywhere near polina or rick so he's the outsider yeah thinking or looking in and rick is this guy who's sort of So, it's almost like Benjamin's telling the story of Rick's point of view. Yeah. Like, he's that possessive. I feel that Timothy Hutton had a
1: vision of it. Rick Okazak, who likes to hide behind lyrics, is also going to hide behind this video. I think he wrote a song that was meant to have all these different sort of hues. Mm, yeah. And it still is more positive than what the video gives. But it's not so positive that the negative lights aren't shining there yeah. too. Like there's a lot going on that it's meant to be muddled. Yeah. And you're supposed to just feel the... Uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. That's The main thing is that you feel... It. not that you understand it but yeah. that when you hear who's gonna drive you home you hear them talking to you when you have the verses where they're asking the questions you think you're the one asking
2: the yeah, person yeah i think that's a, mark of a great song yeah. right yeah. that's that's these songs that just are you can apply them and and interpret yeah, them but no. but I do. You know what I think? You want to know what I think? Yeah, I do. I think that all of these interpretations are correct in a way if you just combine them together. I think that Benjamin is the altruistic stranger or maybe knows them a little bit. He's on the outside and he's singing. Some of it's from his perspective. I can be the guy to help you and But rick he's also sort of telling rick's story this this bad guy in the story who's yeah i'm the okay. only one that can help you yeah and you need to stay with me but in singing it this way he's singing sort of both yeah, characters okay. right I so, get that. i don't know that's just kind of i think that's kind of how it sticks for me is he's telling both sides of it you can interpret it both ways but it's about these two different characters and this one girl
0: yeah, well, no, that's
1: no, that's a that's a great interpretation, and I'm going to take that interpretation. I'm going to accept it. You can say it was yours. Yeah, and it's, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, let's record it where I say this. Yeah, <laughs>
2: <laughs> I do agree with myself, but I also do <laughs> <laughs> you know what I made a good point there, guys. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think that again open to so many interpretations i think that the sort of like someone confronting an addiction or a crucial problem and it doesn't have to be a relationship but you know it's a parent and a kid or a kid and their parent it, it definitely can apply to you know someone dealing with some sort of affliction addiction intervention, inter- intervention needing an intervention probably. you know yeah, yeah. yeah
1: all right all right we'll take it all i think hallmark movie doesn't even be talked about because the video is so powerful yeah I got a category for you. Let's hear it. What type of commercial would the song be best served by?
0: Hmm. It's a toss-up for me. Okay. It's either cars or questions.
1: There's a, what, uh, could you tell me about questions a bit more?
0: No, because there's so many questions in it. I think the song would be good for a commercial about questions.
1: Right, so there's a company like a that a trivia does, game. Yeah, okay, something. so like... The-
0: no, just nope. questions. Okay.
1: <laughs> so you, yeah, this is why we never went into business. Okay, good job. Thank you, Frank, for that one. Derek, do you have a? I mean, I know i coming in. I made up the yeah, camera because I have an answer that's true. that I was yeah I, yeah, I
2: don't know. Maybe Heinz Ketchup? <laughs> okay, you two are
1: both. That just ranks with Frank's questions. I got it, right? Is it cars? No, it's for therapy. It's a therapist.
2: Oh. Ah. Yeah,
1: yeah. So they're they're advertising their therapy. As asking these that's questions.
2: That's a little, just going to be very on the nose though, oh, It's
1: right? Well, I am all about on the nose. Yeah, yeah no, I think it'd be great for uh, therapy. therapy. Okay. But it has to be on the nose. So it's a local therapist yeah. who's trying way yeah. too hard. Yeah, yeah, How yeah. How did
0: the local therapist afford the rights to the song?
1: He doesn't because the therapist is going to be basically brought before the college of therapists for driving his patients home. Gotcha. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> It's doomed. Did we bring a mixtape to the proceedings? Oh, no, not this time, no. Okay, sorry. Uh, I know Derek brought a mixtape. Oh, good, oh, good.
0: I actually brought one too. Oh, so at least I'm as good as Derek right now.
2: All right, I'm looking forward to this mixtape. I don't want to, you know, say it's anything too great, but I think it's okay. It's pretty good. My mixtape is the theme is just sort of the musical vibe, really just okay. songs that I think would literally be on the mixtape with this All right. song. All right. All right. We're going to start it off with uh, All We Are by Kim Mitchell. Wow. Wow. Did not see that coming at all. <laughs>
1: wow, that is a curveball, Fergie Jenkins style.
2: Yeah. Well done. Good one. You know, again, just the, sound, the synths, the sort of slower vibe and all that. I did uh, Eyes Without a Face by Billy Idol. Oh, oh, oh that's okay, yeah, great. I can yeah, see that. Yeah. Great choice. Yeah. And then I did a little bit off the beat, but Eye in the Sky, Alan Parsons Project. Wow. Okay. You just are that's reaching. Kinda, this is good. Yeah. I got a couple more. We already mentioned this one, but 10cc, I'm not in love. Yeah. good very good good. just again with those vocals and everything and and Speaking of that title, Not in Love by Platinum Blonde. Little bit different, a little faster, yeah. kind of like different energy to that mm-hmm. song, but again, some of the lyrical tones and sort of things yeah, yeah, come yeah. out. With it. Yeah, those are my five that I, that I kind of. Nice. Wow, that's a killer mixtape. That's, that's really good. Eh? good. Yeah. <laughs> that was uh, kind <laughs> yeah. of all over the place, but it was great. <laughs> it was
1: right on the money. Yeah. Shoot. Uh, Frank, you want to go next? No, I want you to. Go next. <laughs> I, okay. I, all right. I went more theme. So, this song's about possibly like an intervention or just a reach out. So, I have Desperado by The Eagles Ah, as in, hey, come on, let someone love you. Then I have You've Got a Friend, James Taylor. Come on. And then I have Lean on Me by Club Nouveau. Uh, Uh, Oh, yes. Not the other guy. Yeah, yeah. But Club Nouveau. It's one that DJs like. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then, in your honor, Derek, one of your favorites... Amy Grant, <laughs> like I love you from her third secular album. Oh, gotcha! Which, like I love you, ain't no one is gonna say goodbye. No, ain't nobody. I don't think re- I know that one. To love you like I love you, more. keep singing. Yeah, <laughs> oh no, I I reached my peak there, and then I'm gonna end it with the most emotive of bands, Coldplay,
0: oh.
1: <laughs> Amsterdam. Oh, okay, yeah. He's saying like, "Oh, there the noose was set. I was going to kick it, but you cut the noose and you save me." Yeah. Mm. I cut out phrase how to save a life. I just couldn't do it to myself oh, okay. or to you to mm. you too. Okay. Can I be honest? I kind of like The Fray. I, I kind of like The Fray. Don't mind that song. Okay. All right. But I'm not putting it on because it was it didn't work. All right, Frank, what do you got for us? I put the pressure on too because okay. mine was also awesome, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, no. So mine is pretty good, I think. So mine is a list of songs that were hits after being re-released. So they may have been hits cool. the first time, but also hits the second nice, time. Nice. Or some of them were only hits the second time. Ooh, oh, okay. We are going to start with a pretty obvious one, Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen, which was a hit after Wayne's Mm. World came out. I'm going to be 500 Miles by The Proclaimers. Very good. Which was released in 88, but then in 93 again when it came out with the Benny and June uh, soundtrack for the movie. This might be a bit of a shock to you. Hey Jealousy by The Gin Blossoms. Comeback? Originally released in 92, got no traction. Re-released '93, so became new- a hit. Wow. Okay. All right. right. Good. Then I am going to go with "Running Up That Hill" by Kate Bush, which became a massive right. hit again Got after yeah, one. yeah after Strange Stranger, yeah. Stranger Things, right? That was crazy. Yeah. And we are ending it all off with "Into the Night" by Betty Mardona
1: Yes, it did make us come back. Yeah,
0: because it? it was originally released in 1980, and then again in '88. Very good. Very very good. So speaking of hits. Did we want to go through what was in the top 10 yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, when yeah, this yeah. Uh, peaked? Yeah. All right. So I'm going to do the countdown from 10. So this peaked at number three. So it starts off with Cover Me by Bruce Springsteen at number 10. Disco Aww. Bruce. Yeah. Cruel Summer by Bananarama, which we've Love done an episode Sorry. Yeah. The Glamorous Life by Sheila E., the Warrior Scandal featuring Patti Smythe at number seven. That's a great song. I don't
1: think I know did that did really one. well
0: in Canada, too. Okay. I think it's,
1: I am the warrior. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay,
0: I know that one now. Yeah. I certainly
1: hope it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: What's Love Got to Do With It by Tina Turner is number six.
1: Yeah, and that's Destined for Greatness.
0: Number five. I just called to say irresistible i love you not no, sure no
1: it's i just called to say I love yeah, all right all right i'm not sure it was the greatest song of those academy award-winning movies but we no. already went through that
0: number four she bop cindy lopper okay number three drive by the cars number two missing you by john Waite. fantastic song and number one let's go crazy by prince and the revolution
1: well you're gonna lose to someone you might as well lose to prince oh exactly right yeah
2: That's interesting. It's funny when the song is number one at the time, but again, me coming from a generation after, I don't know a lot of those, even the two that were ahead of Drive. Yeah. No recollection. You know, obviously I know Prince and the bigger hits, but yeah, it's interesting how some songs carry that longevity much further, and the ones that were beating them at the time sort of go by the wayside.
1: Well, it's interesting because, I mean, we love Missing You. But I'm pretty sure that it didn't get 250 million hits on YouTube like Drive did. Yeah. So Drive has endured. Yeah. For sure,
2: yeah. yeah. Exactly. Something about those songs just cut through to even, you know, the younger kids and stuff.
1: We didn't get to talk about the demo to Drive. Like, there's a demo that was released on the Heart the Heartbeat City album. Yep, there's a demo. And, and uh, there's bits of it where you feel like there's some odd choices.
0: And it's one of those things where it was probably just in its infancy in terms of the song so they just like well we don't know what to do with this so let's throw a boss nova drum beat behind it totally let's just sort I of totally,
2: like, yeah i agree
0: you have the the concept and the idea but you just don't know how to flesh it out
2: completely yeah you just need some drums or a backing to it yeah. you just throw that up
1: Mutt Lang has to be given credit. Like He hears yes. this demo. And probably he's probably like, like, you need to do the
2: drums like this. Exactly. And can we talk about the drums for a minute? Yeah. Because actually, we brought up Phil Collins at some point. Yeah, yeah. And Phil Collins always makes his way into every conversation about I've the 80s. To. But yeah. that gated reverb snare, I don't know yeah, if yeah. we've talked about this at all. But the, apparently, so 84... I looked into the history of it. 79 is when that gated reverb snare sort of became a thing. And then Phil Collins really did popularize it on a lot of his biggest hits in the air tonight and whatever else. So you guys did at least one Phil Collins song so far, I think? We've done two.
1: And we talked about, the yeah, because the, the gated reverb comes out of the uh, Peter Gabriel's solo album. Yes,
2: that's the one where it starts, right? Intruder. Yeah.
1: So. so
0: we have talked about the gated reverb yeah. snare without understanding or knowing that we
2: talked sure, about right, the gated right, right. reverb yeah. snare. <laughs> yeah. No, but that's so, right? It's pervasive. It's just, uh, but it, it did go out of fashion, obviously, at some point. But yeah. like throughout the 80s, it characterizes 80s oh, music, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Along with the synths, of course. And-
1: is this a drum uh, machine in this song? No, I, think, it that, I, dr- I think it's it... a
2: real drummer in the in the actual song. Maybe in the demo it was... Uh, yeah, I don't just... know. I don't know. It's a good question because, I mean, they do it live, right? You see mm-hmm. them drumming yeah. live and stuff, but it um, could be an electronic drum set as well. I don't know. They have those too, so... You can go
1: on Thinking Nothing's wrong We want to thank Derek for joining us today for our uh, walk through the complicated nature of this song.
0: Wouldn't you consider it more of a
1: drive through?
0: (laughs) I'm ready to be a father. You are. (laughs) Uh, It's been an honor. I'm so honored to come back. And I'm thankful, Bill, that you brought him here and surprised
1: me with the, his presence here today. We got lots to talk about, Frank, as we prepare for future episodes. And Derek, we will have you back much sooner than two years from now.
2: Yeah, I'll be ready and waiting.
1: Okay. And dear listener, I know this song has a lot of questions like, who's going to pick you up when you fall? Who's going to pay attention to your dreams? Who's going to come around when you break? I hope you know by now that it's going to be Bill and Frank
0: and their guilt-free pleasures.